Welcome to the College Football Connection, your taste of all the college football action going on this week. We love the Ohio State Buckeyes. We hate that team up north, and we've got way too much to say. We're joined by the one and only Zach Smith, also known as Menace to Sports, to give us the behind the scenes and some expert insights on the action. Zach, great to have you. I like this evening edition that we're doing tonight. We're recording a little later than usual, so I think the uh, the vibe's a little bit a little bit different this week. Might be a little more raw and unfiltered. I mean, you, you can't catch me after 7 p.m. without me popping off a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's like as you get, I feel like as you get older, that desire to just have to pop off goes up and up. Well, I mean, you, yeah, you, like put, when, when you it, put the kids to bed, you're, you had a right. long day, you're ready to, ready to talk some like When the kids are at school, we record in the afternoon. It's like, oh, this is a nice, a nice fine afternoon. And like after chaos at dinner, it's like, all right, I'm ready to talk. Let's get on. <laughs> Well, let, uh, let's let's get into this week's uh, this week's action. Obviously, let's start with uh, the Indiana Ohio State game. Kind of went as we expected. Um, was a blowout, but I don't think there was much of a challenge put up by Indiana. What were some of the good and and some of the bad that you saw despite the scoreline in this game, Zach? You know what I thought? I, I thought it was a dominant, absolutely dominant defensive performance. I broke down the game film for my subscribers. And you and I only broke down the first half when it came to Ohio State's defense because it got to the point where like this is I mean this is just an abomination like Ohio State is just killing them and they scored the one touchdown but if you really watch that film they had two plays right they had a massive big play that led to their touchdown that J.K. Johnson the the freshman corner I don't know what he was doing and I, I wish I had that clip because he literally just didn't backpedal. And I don't know what he was looking at. I don't know if he, I don't know what happened because the receiver was running full, full speed as fast as he could run. And JK Johnson just sat there and he <laughs> ran right by him, obviously. And they hit a big play. And then they had kind of a mismatch on Cameron Brown with a 6 6 tight end. And that was their one touchdown. And other than that, they had one other big play. And those kind of three plays were the only plays that you could even say were like kind of positive for them. The rest of it was just a bludgeoning. I think they, we learned some cool things about they had a very athletic quarterback. Um, he, he, he made some plays happen, and that's, that's something to look at because J.J. McCarthy at Michigan is a good athlete. But other than that, I mean, defensively, I thought it was just, I mean, Jim Knowles put on a clinic on how to stop the run. And then offensively, I thought Ohio State got, got back to kind of downhill run game. They weren't running yeah. sideline to sideline. They were downhill. They, were, they hit some creases. The reality is, I mean, Dewan Jones didn't play the starting right tackle. Josh Fryer did an okay job in his place. Matt Jones has, he honestly looks like he has 17 rolls of tape on his right ankle. So I know he's not healthy because he can't push off of it. He doesn't get great movement. So I think injuries are the biggest concern right now for Ohio State. If they can get healthy, you know, never mind this week, uh, but next week, they, they, they got to get healthy and, and got to find a way to just spend 15 hours a day in that training room to get healthy for this colossal matchup coming up. Wanted to wanted to actually discuss one thing that you mentioned, which was we were running downhill. Um, one of kind of the, the critiques or consistent critiques of our offense is kind of our running scheme and why it is mm -hmm. um, what it is. Zach, if you could kind of give some insight into that, um, you know, and and what adjustments, if any, should it could be made, or if this is just a product of the the overall offensive scheme that we run. Yeah, I mean, it's there's some things that are a little concerning. I mean, you have you have two really strong run game minds in a room, right? Justin Fry is probably one of the smartest coaches I've ever been around when it comes to like run game and offensive line play. I mean, he's he's I, I'm try, I don't even know if I can think of someone that that's better than him. And then Kevin Wilson is is very convicted and has had unbelievable success with Adrian Peterson and even at Ohio State with his kind of philosophies. And so. They, they've from my conversations with people on staff like they have an unbelievable chemistry like they work well together 
but it's still two very different philosophies, right? And so yeah. there's 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 a wrinkle here, wrinkle there that I can tell her Justin's kind of what he what he believes in, what he loves. But it's it's just without getting too complicated, it's a lot of zone schemes, not a lot of gap schemes. And gap schemes are kind of your chance to just, I mean, tee off on people and run straight downhill. And zone schemes, depending on the back, can be very finesse, but also very explosive. And that's kind of mm-hmm. Kevin's more of a zone run zone run game guy and and Justin's more of a gap scheme run game guy and um it, it's there's been times where it's been phenomenally multiple and it, the one thing that I think we learned on Saturday was that they they, they realize that kind of those sideline to sideline runs haven't been great for them and so now they're more downhill they, they still could be more multiple and I have a clip pulled up if you want to watch it um but They've they've put in some wrinkles here and there where I'm like, wow, like that is really cool, and yeah. I think they're getting there. And I think I, I actually don't believe this to my core, but the more I watch, like I think there's quite a few wrinkles that they're not fully employing because they don't have to. Like they didn't need to run run a bunch of gap schemes against Indiana. I mean that game was in hand, and I think in a week we're going to see some stuff where you're like, wow, this is this is one of the best run games in America. I believe that. Would love to take a look at that clip um, if you've got it. Well, let, let me see. If I, I got to figure out if I can figure out how to do this. So I'm gonna. I'll, I'll share the clip and then me. I'll play it. This is this is from the film breakdowns that I do. You can see it. Yeah. Yep. All right. So watch this. Just watch this. So this is off of counter. They they run a little bit of counter where you pull the guard and pull and pull the tight end. And this is Marvin Harrison Jr.'s one carry he had. Watch this run. And what's the um? What's kind of what's kind of happening here, Zach? So so th- they they tried to sell counter there, and 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 as they're trying to sell counter, the whole defense flows with it, and they 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 have this reverse off of it, and it it just really phenomenal game yeah, planning, it's, and, and it's it worked a like a fantastic play call. Oh, just and it's just a just a fantastic thought. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there, I see creativity. And so I know that those things are going on in the staff room and I haven't seen enough of it on game film. And that only tells me that they have that stuff. And it's just like, I don't feel like they, they've really unleashed the beast for lack of a better way to put it. I think they really have, they have some bullets in the chamber. They haven't shot yet. And I think, I think come November 26, we're going to see just a flurry. Cause quite frankly, I think that's, that's how we are going to, dominate this game if we can run the ball downhill well in that game and we can contain Blake Corum this game should be an Ohio State win however if we don't do those things and our offense is trying to throw the ball down the field we have a few three and outs they get more possessions um, that seems to be the formula for Michigan as I've watched the last few games is they start out slow they, but then as the volume picks up for Blake Corum, that's when they break out and they, they kind of crush teams. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's the difference between Michigan and Ohio State right now in the run game is one, I, I think Michigan has a healthy and really good offensive line. And I think Ohio mm-hmm. State, when healthy, when Dewan's healthy, when Matt Jones is healthy, I think they, they're right there with them. But when Matt Jones is 65% and Dewan didn't play this past weekend, I have concerns. Um, and the other side of it is Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards. Donovan Edwards had a cast on his hand, but who cares? He's a running back. He's not, you know, he's not a receiver. But they, they've been healthy. Like their legs have been healthy. Yeah. They've been, you know, they've played in every game. And and here every week it feels like Travion's out this week. And you're like, what? Why? And then the next week you're like, yeah. all right, Trey's gonna come back. And he comes back and oh, Mayan Williams is out this week. You're like, oh my God. Yeah. Can we ever have a full running back room healthy? It, like that's all that's what Ohio State needs. I think this game is gonna come down to health. Who's yeah. healthy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. It, it does seem like Ohio State has had a lot more injuries this year than you know we're used to seeing. Man. Like, it seems like we've we've never really had even a full game with your full set of weapons on the field. We had like no. twenty minutes of JSN, I think. Yeah. yeah, and it's not you know the, I think the most frustrating part is it's not like we've seen in the past where a guy JT Barrett breaks his leg. Right. Like that's yeah. like one of those like, oh, crap. And he's done. And he's, yeah. you know, you, you don't forget about him, You're but like, you just know 
This is all yeah. nagging injuries, right? It's a, it's a hamstring with Jackson Smith and Jigba. It's a little bit of an ankle, a little bit of a foot with Travion Henderson. It's like these little nagging injuries where you're like, man, we just can't get healthy. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know. I don't know what on the medical side, like, it seems like you should be able to avoid that stuff. You know what I'm saying? Because it's, it's not happening to everyone else. No. Well, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say that because I think once you get hit by a couple of rough injuries, you never know when they're going to happen. I mean, the, 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 the word on the street right now and what everyone is talking about is the specific type of AstroTurf that just happens to be used right. at Ohio Stadium as well. Um, and I obviously think that Ohio State, as, a, as an institution, I miss the days of us having a grass field. I think it's conducive to the tradition to have a grass field, understand the cost benefits um, and the challenges of maintaining an open air grass stadium in the winter. But it's just like what I will agree with you, Parth, is there's some things that that can be done. But Zach, as you know, it's like you've been in this in this game long enough. It's like it always seems to be that one or two those one or two seasons that you just get a rash of injuries for a, a lot of no players and there's nothing you, the training staff, nothing anyone can do about it. Well, and I think that he, here's, here's something that no one's talking about. And I just thought of it. I haven't talked about it on my show, but Ohio state just had all of their turf replaced. Like literally this year, this is the first year they had this yeah. new turf. <clears throat> so there might be something there. I mean, there, you know, yeah. you always have some wear and tear. I agree. Turf is far worse on your legs than grass. That's why every training camp, we went to some random intramural field and had training camp because it was just, I mean, disgusting grass. Most of the time, just dirt. Not, a, not even a lot yeah. of grass. But you didn't have many <laughs> injuries. But it was yeah. mostly because you're going to have 26 practices in, you know, whatever, 18 days. And you're like, well, we sh- if we do that on turf, like these, their legs are going to be destroyed and there's going to be a bunch of injuries. So we wouldn't. Yeah practice on it and and we didn't really have this type of injury problem at ohio state when i was there or and we didn't see that until this season and they just got brand new turf in the indoor uh in the stadium like everywhere and so i i I, i'm not far off from when i was at temple and under armor first came out with cleats and they put these little like like plastic tiny hooks on the bottom it was to help traction and we had like seven ACLs in the first couple of weeks of training camp. And then they came out and tested them. They're like, oh, these hooks are causing the problem. And all of a sudden you're like, wait, what? Like, yeah, there should be yeah. a lawsuit here. And so when, mean, you, there- when you talk about new turf, it's like, mm, is the turf to blame? Yeah, There's definitely, definitely. And it, and it is the put. same. It is the same turf that is being pointed out in the NFL. I think there are about seven stadiums, but it is that exact same turf, the new turf that's been put in. It is that turf. So, and we're seeing hamstring injuries. We're seeing uh, soft tissue injuries. We're seeing a lot of these issues kind of happen. So you wonder if that's it. And I think the one thing I will say about Ohio State as a program, if it is an issue, it is something that they will address in the off season and correct. Um, you know, unlike unlike some of these NFL teams, I think if it's a if it's a recognizable issue, um, the, the leadership within Ohio State athletics will address it. Maybe oh, there's no got, doubt. Oh, I- maybe they got a curse, man. They might. <laughs> <laughs> they might i mean you know we we can we the we we can come back to kind of the games that we're going to see this weekend um but i do want to take a moment um to talk about kind of the uh the standout game this weekend last week we had a pretty extensive review of playoff scenarios um and the <laughs> <laughs> the two games uh the Two of the teams that we talked about, one of them being Oregon, is now eliminated from that race. Thank um, God. The, the, you know, obviously Oregon losing and choking is not a surprise. Although <laughs> I will say, man, I, I have to give a shout out to this kid, Michael Penix. I don't know what's going on with this kid, but he's one of the best passers I've seen um, play the game of college football. What's wild is... He was a starting quarterback at Indiana for like two years. Yeah. yeah. And he, he transferred out. And, and it could be one of those Jamar Chase things where he just saw the writing on the wall and was like, we're going to be awful. I got to get out of here. Yeah. But I watched Indiana, this game film, 
and they completed nine total passes. Their starting quarterback completed six. And I'm sitting here like, if Michael Penix Jr. was still here, this could have been maybe not a game, but it would have been more more entertaining. Like, it would have been closer. And it's just... I mean, and yeah. there's a deep dive into that program, Tom Allen and what he did to backstab Kevin Wilson and, and Buckeye Nation benefited from it. But at the same time, he's getting his karma right now. Yeah. I mean, he, he, he do you it, it, do you see this disgusting. kid as as having next level talent or is is there are there some. So, I mean, admittedly, I've, I think I've watched one game of my of Washington just because it's not it's not a national brand and 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 for my show it's like I I I pay attention to them when they're relevant and then you know eventually they fall out of relevancy and it's like all right well Mm -hmm. see you guys next year we'll see if you're any good but I I, I've watched him I think twice actually and the kid's really good and he was really good at Indiana I mean he's playing better now than ever but I think that's a testament kind of like what what Bo Nix is doing at Oregon like Bo Nix was a an okay quarterback at Auburn Auburn then he goes to Oregon, and all of a sudden he flourishes, he blossoms, and I know they lost, but he still had an, an unbelievable year. And this kid, I mean, they're, they're, I, I read a thing today where he's the he's the fourth best quarterback in this upcoming draft behind C.J. Stroud, which don't get me started on why he's third, but that's a whole other <laughs> conversation. But either way, even if C.J.'s first, the fourth best quarterback in this draft, that's impressive. Yeah, yeah. very, very, very impressive. I have to, I have to ask you, Zach, at the end of the game, what was shocking to me is that they didn't kick the 50-yard field goal. They decided to go for it all. What what was going on? Like, kid, Is there really a situation where the kick isn't worth it in that scenario? I mean, if you think your kicker can make it, maybe, maybe you go for it. But, but otherwise, you, know, you get in a scenario like that, and you, you're just trying to make the, the scoreboard look better. Like, well, that was it's not the, about uh, that would have taken it to OT on Oregon's part in that last. Uh, well, what, what, what? No, here's what here's what happened in that yeah. game that was so screwed up is well, let me let me it was 34 34 and it was fourth down in their yeah, own that territory was the play that I didn't understand. That was the the, play the, this was this was the dumbest coaching decision of 2022. Yeah. It's fourth down in your own territory. And he went for it instead of punting right. it away. And hopefully your and defense stops them. You go to overtime. They went for it and got stopped. Yeah. And so, and at that point, I mean, just hand Washington to the game. They're already in field goal range. It made right. no sense at all. It was the but dumbest it, thing I've seen this year yeah, by it's far. The dumbest, dumbest coaching decision I've seen in a long, but long even, time. But even despite that, at the end of the game, they could have kicked at a 50-yard field. It, it was on it, the 35. Well, I think I think there's a there's a something that I think a lot of people get spoiled by is that when you look at the number of college football programs, the number of kickers like people are spoiled by the fact the number of kickers who can actually kick and make a 50 yard field goal consistently is not very high in college Yo, football. But you're telling and, me that and it's, it was you're, 50 and it was it was over 50 yards. You're but saying they, they, they had a higher kicker. likelihood of throwing the ball into the end zone. From that spot, then if your kicker sucks, your kicker sucks. If your kicker sucks and can't hit more than a forty yarder, you don't take that shot. You go for the hail mary. At least in my opinion, that's what I did. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, just, it, it, I I think crazy. I I would bet you a lot of money that Dan Lanning is not hip to to the analytics that that some of these big time coaches are privy to because. I mean, their field goal kicker this year is 10 of 11. I don't know what leg he has, but the percentage chance of you hitting a Hail Mary in that scenario is so <laughs> astronomically low that That's honestly, I mean, I don't have the analytics in front of me, but I would bet you a lot of money that I have a better chance of making a 50-yard field goal than Tom Brady has of, of completing a Hail Mary. Yeah, Hail Mary. That's what I'm saying. That's and, why and, they should have kicked. Well, and you know, it's some of its feel. Maybe you know, it's like I, every time I go to the, every time I go to the casino and I win a bunch of money on on playing playing uh, blackjack, I always go and put put a, a chunk of it on black or red. Like that's yeah, stupid, I but I do it. It's like a gut feeling, you know. Yeah. Like they, they at some point, both. it's like yeah, I I've doubled my money several times, and it's like that was stupid, but it worked. <laughs> it's it's it, but honestly, like to, to your point, Arthur, like the combination of those two decisions makes you wonder what was going on with the coach right like yeah. what was he yeah. what was he doing you know and i don't want to go into like 
you know, all the all the prognosticators are going to say, "Oh, they threw the game," but I don't think that <laughs> right, that's that, that's. <laughs> no, I don't that's, think they threw the game on purpose. That, I don't think no, that that's what. But you know what happened? <laughs> this is a big time college football program that hired a coordinator, never been a head coach, and so he's making some decisions where, when he's been a head coach for five six years, he's going to look back and be like, "Man, that was a rookie mistake. It was my first year running a program, and I made a mistake. I shouldn't have done that." Yeah. So we also saw UCLA lose, which blew the Pac-12 basically out of this, right? Because uh, isn't there like now a circle of loss? Oh, Pac-12's out. I mean, U- USC has a has a crazy, like almost like doomsday chance at at making it in with one loss. But I mean, I I've said many times on my show, I think they lose either to UCLA this weekend or Notre Dame next weekend. So I, I don't think the, I think the Pac-12 is out. But what's wild to me is UCLA has been a good football team, and I know they had the, the one loss before this weekend, but Arizona literally, their only Power 5 win was against Colorado, who this year can't be qualified as a Power 5 team. Like, they, they haven't beat a team that is a Power 5 team, and they beat <laughs> UCLA, who's been playing Just- phenomenal. Out of the blue, too. Yeah. Like, so wild. They they scored a lot of points, too. Yeah, I think think the Pac-12 is out, but we'll see what happens. The other interesting game this weekend that we had circled was TCU-Texas. I've watched a couple of TCU games now. Yes, they definitely have some phenomenal talent. They have especially some crazy athletes. But honestly, Texas should have won this game. They had multiple opportunities in the red zone that they just botched. Um, and TCU escaped with another win. And that's really what gets, what gets my kind of blood flowing is when I look at this team and I look at these Big 12 teams and these Pac-12 teams, I would like for them, if you're going to get in out of this conference, you've got to be dominant, you know? And if not dominant, you can't play a game as poorly as TCU played against Texas because Texas didn't necessarily play a great game. Um, one thing I will say is TCU kind of, I didn't know what was happening with Bajan Robinson in this game, probably his worst game as a Longhorn. Um, but overall, that's kind of like my takeaway from this is despite that, Texas probably should have won this game. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it was one of those games where, where bizarrely, and I, I didn't think this would happen, but TCU's defense won that football game as, as good as an explosive <laughs> yeah. as, as their offense has been. I mean, yeah, Bajan Robinson had 29 total yards that, I mean, TCU had five sacks and 14 tackle tackles for loss. Like they don the defense dominated this game. And we, when have we ever said that about a, about a big 12 game? Like that, that yeah. the defense dominated anything. Like yeah. usually it's like, Oh man, TCU won 59 to 55. It's like what I, I didn't understand I didn't understand a lot of the goal line play calling in that fourth quarter. It was like, okay, I know he only has 29 yards, but why wouldn't you just pound the ball with Bajan Robinson in those scenarios? <laughs> I'm I'm here was, for the TCU <laughs> hype train this year, man. I'm glad they got out of it and you know, great teams win tough games no matter how they get it well, done. It's and, about and, it's about the dub. And we saw it in 2012. We saw it in 2002. There's something to be said about a team that just finds a way to win. And it's yeah. not pretty. It's not sexy. Like in 2002, if you watch every single game, you're going you're gonna to leave that game and say, no chance. I mean, this team has yeah. no chance at, yeah. at beating a Miami team with the, I mean, we can go through the roster. Like no chance. That team had yeah. no chance. But they did because they had this culture and this mentality where they just, they just find a way to win. Somehow, yeah. some way, they find yeah. a way to win. And I'm not saying this TCU team is that. I actually think that the perfect scenario for Buckeye fans is TCU's undefeated. Ohio State beats Michigan. Georgia's the one seed. Ohio State's the two seed. TCU's the three seed. And it's damn near a bye week to get into the national championship game. <laughs> That's what I actually think Ohio that, State fans that, should that would be that, that would be amazing if they finish number three. Oh. What I would hate is if they finish four. Um, which is likely. I don't think there's a path for them to finish four. Okay. Um, you, you know the uh, the team that I think does represent what you were saying, Zach, about like just 
finding a way to win. I I genuinely think that's Georgia this year. Like they look they look really good, man. They do. They do. Yeah. I mean, the thing that I, you know, in a year where we're losing Alabama, you know, obviously as an Ohio State fan, the easy path is a great path, but I really, really would like to see the four best teams in. And I quite would be very disappointed to not see a one loss Tennessee team um, in this in this college football playoff over a school like TCU or even over in Oregon, I think. It's it's just something that's just gut and watching the watching the games. I mean, you can't tell me Tennessee's not one of the four best teams in who, America. Who do you who do you think are the four best teams? Just like ignoring conferences and all of that. Just like uh, I, I've got clearly. I've got I've got Georgia, Ohio State, Tennessee, um, and right now Michigan. You got to give it to Michigan because they've been dominant in every game. I know their schedule; you can't say much about, but they've they've been dominant in every single game. Yeah, I agree with that. Here's a scenario for you, and and I don't think this is that unlikely. And that's what's crazy. There, yeah. There's one unlikely part to it, but it doesn't matter. It, it makes for great radio or great podcasting. <laughs> Ohio State beats Michigan by 12 points. Right, Michigan probably's out at that point. You need that yeah. game to be a close loss for either team to still yeah. make it. That happens. TCU loses a game down the stretch. They have two more games plus a Big 12 championship. I think that's not probable, but that could happen, right? And then LSU beats Georgia in the yeah. SEC championship game. Yeah. In yeah. my opinion, the, for the first time ever, a two-loss team makes it. LSU has to make it. They beat yeah, Bama they and it. Georgia. Yeah. And then when the not SEC only that, yeah. I think the final four is Ohio State one, and then in some form or fashion, Tennessee, Georgia, LSU. It's Ohio State and three SEC teams. That's a definite possibility. I think that definitely that definitely is what will play out, just because of strength of schedule. I mean, Michigan, yeah, and you, has not I played mean, anybody. So how can you one no. loss Michigan over? Over any of those teams, you can't put them so in. So all that LSU has to do is, is win the SEC championship? For that yeah, because you out. think about it. LSU has Bama-Georgia wins. Nobody has that in the country. And then on top of that, Tennessee gets in because they beat the SEC champions, LSU Tigers, at right. LSU. So they're right. in. Georgia has to get in because they only lost one game in the championship game, as long as that's close. If it's a blowout, maybe not. But yeah. But those three teams are in, and Ohio State obviously is in. If they win convincingly against Michigan, I don't know who you put over any of those three SEC teams, which is the I don't want it to happen, but that's a real possibility. I mean, this is the one season that, you know, of all the years, you know, we've been doing this podcast. I've I've been (laughs) stomping the table about the SEC being overrated. I don't think that's the case this year. Um, No, it's not. They've shown it top to bottom. And then also, even the two-loss LSU team, you can't say that they they dodged anyone this season. They probably have the toughest schedule of any of these contenders. So, And then also new coach and, and kind of how do you finish yeah. the season with the momentum? That's always what they they credit Alabama with. That's how we got in. Um, you you, want, they, know, you, you want, want to know the championship. As what, well else as is really, sure. what else is really crazy in this situation is that you go one through eight right now. It's it goes from Georgia all the way through Alabama. All of those teams, any one of them pitted against another, anybody could win. You know what I'm saying? Like there's there's well, like that's, some really great. That's teams the whole argument year. for the 12 team playoff, right? Is yeah. there's some teams like even Penn State, and I know you know I, I, I'm not inflated. I don't have an inflated where view Penn on Penn State, State but could be everybody they play. I, I, I mean, of saying. the two lost teams now, Penn State has lost to the number two and number three team in the country. Like yeah, LSU yeah. lost to Florida State. Yeah, we. So like, w- Penn State definitely got to be like they could beat Clemson, right? Oh my god! Yeah. See the 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 thing is, and Zach, we had this conversation at the beginning of the year. I think there's an argument for an eight-team playoff. What I don't understand is a 12-team playoff. Like, there no, are not 12 I, competitive <laughs> to, to 12 no. national championship no. contending teams in college football. No. <laughs> no, but, it, you know, that that was for there's money. I, I, I've eight. said forever, uh, 
You you could honestly, I think I, I honestly think in a perfect world, I mean, eight team is fine. You might find a seven yeah. or eight seed that has a slim chance, but I think Cinderella. six teams is the right number. Yeah. You, you you let the top two teams, like for instance, in the scenario we just talked about, let Ohio State and Georgia get a bye. Let the other teams figure out who the top four are. Let them play a play-in game. I think a six-team team, a six-team playoff was the right move, but yeah, dollars matter more than logic. Yeah, they do. They do. I mean, I think the ideal way to do it is like every major conference champion gets gets their champion, and then two wild card teams would be ideal. I mean, but eight is money. Twelve is even more money. The logistics also of this are going to be interesting too, uh, because you're how are they going to adjust the season um, for this? You know, it's it's a lot more games to play. Um, mm-hmm. I know Gene Smith changed his stance on whether Ohio State would want to host a college football playoff game. I think the light came on, like, hey, we could sell out our stadium for an extra game. I think that's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we could make another $5 million. I think we should do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but it's it's going to be interesting. I mean, this this year showed the good thing for the people who want to expand the playoffs this year has shown and been much more competitive. Some of this is NIL. Some of this is transfer portal. Some of this is, you know, elevation of certain coaches um, that are showing they belong in the landscape of college football. Um, but it's it's definitely interesting conversation. I just that's my big thing. I've watched multiple TCU games. Yes, they're exciting. Watch multiple Big 12 games. Yes, it's fun to watch. But I just cannot see a scenario in which you can put TCU up against a Georgia and Ohio State, Tennessee, or even Alabama, and they have a shot of winning that game. Well, listen, here, here's the reality, and this is what no one wants to talk about. There's five great five teams that could win it this year, and yeah. that is Ohio State, Michigan, Georgia, maybe LSU, and Tennessee. That's it. There yeah. and. You yeah. could convince me that Alabama could get hot. Yeah. But yeah. outside of that, like USC's not winning at all. Not a chance yeah. in hell. TCU's not. Clemson's not. Like these one loss teams are too. None of them have a real chance against the top five teams. None of them. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and it kind of pushes back on the whole conversation about, oh, every conference champion gets in. It's like, what? Well, why? Like yeah. if USC wins the Pac-12, they can't win at all. But I mean, we could put them in. But that's just a sacrificial lamb. I mean, you're looking. <laughs> you have to look at the depth of the conference and say, okay, the teams that they said were good in these conferences aren't really all that good. You cut on the film, and it's not. It's not compelling. I mean, Oregon. I, I was, I was, I was saying Oregon if they went out, but they choked. So choked. you can't. You can't do anything about that. And TCU has escaped um, against teams like what's happened to Oklahoma State since. Since uh, since TCU beat them, you know what I mean? And yeah. Texas, you know, maybe they're a year away, but they're not really that competitive. You know, Baylor's okay, I guess. But, you know, Kansas State, second, maybe maybe the second best team in the conference right now. I don't know. I can't, I can't. Oklahoma's trash, you know, it's just, yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's an interesting, it's an interesting landscape to say the big 12 is still relevant and should get uh, it. And, and the reality it. is there's, there's two conferences in college football. When you talk yeah. about national relevancy, there's two conferences. Yeah. I mean, Pitt won the ACC last year. I don't know. If, I don't know if we <laughs> paid attention to that. They, <laughs> Pitt won the ACC and got boat raced by Michigan state in the bowl game. Like these other conferences, it's cute and all, and they might have a Cinderella story that could give somebody a game. It's kind of like Cincinnati last year, like really good team. Yeah. They were never going to win at all. Yeah. But, you know, they deserve to be there. Let them go on the tour, enjoy the bowl game, like get the bowl gifts, all that. But there's that the national champion is going to come out of the SEC or Big Ten every year. Yeah. And they only got yeah. in. Cincinnati, Cincinnati only got in because literally every single thing went their way to get in. Absolutely. <laughs> they were trying to keep them from getting in in any way possible. So. Um, it's just interesting that, you know, like you said, it's Cincinnati versus a Big 12. Like, at a certain point, we're going to have to have these conversations and say, the Big 12 isn't the Big 12 anymore. The Pac-12 isn't the Pac-12 anymore. And actually acknowledge that reality. I mean, we'll see what happens with the ACC. 
um, if these new coaches at, at Florida State and Miami bring that conference back to to relevance. I think if you look at the other conferences, I would say the ACC has the best shot of maybe becoming that third conference if Clemson if Dabo can figure it out. Miami, Cristobal, Miami can turn that into a program. Matt Brown's decent at North Carolina, you know, and you have another team, um, but they just don't seem to want it. You know what I mean? So. No. <laughs> and even further, even further to that point, in a couple years here, the Pac-12 is losing UCLA and USC. The Big 12 yeah. is losing yeah. Texas and Oklahoma. And at that point, the ACC is by far the third best conference, which is criminal because right now they're the fifth best conference of the Power Five. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how all this plays out, especially with the college football playoff expansion, all of this. Like, are you just going to throw in teams because they've won a conference championship? Or are you really going to look for the best 12 teams consistently in America? Or are you just going to guarantee all these big conferences uh, a spot in the playoff? Which we'll see how that all, how that all plays out. Now, going into this weekend's uh, games, um, the first one, and this is what kind of scares me about this game, is the biggest issue our defense has had throughout the season is our secondary play. This probably is going to be the secondary's biggest test um, that we've seen probably all season going, even more so than Michigan. Maryland can throw the ball. Um, that seems to be the only challenge. I don't think they can stop us. So I'm not really worried about a loss, but I do think this is an opportunity for Jim Knowles and the defense to kind of really hone in on the, the area that we're most troubled by. Yeah. So, and something's happened at Maryland and I don't know what it is because Tuolia Tungavailoa is, is healthy ish, I guess, and has been playing, but they went from throwing for 300 yards a game against Michigan state and Purdue. And you look at the last two weeks and they, Threw for 77 yards against Wisconsin, 74 yards against Penn State. And you're looking at it like, wait a minute. What's like, happening? What on, happened to this? Offense? On paper, and even early in the year, you're like, I mean, they threw for 400 yards a game, 300. And I, don't, I, I certainly haven't studied their film. I've seen highlights and I've, I've watched the analytics. And you're like, all year I've been saying, this is going to be the one test for Ohio State secondary that could tell yeah. us something. Right. And for some reason, the last two weeks, <laughs> They've been awful throwing the ball, and I don't know why. They got, they got wrecked by Penn State last week. It was thirty to zero. I mean, thirty to nothing. Yeah, yeah. That's that, it's it's interesting to see like two games that are outliers when you look at the whole season. Maryland wasn't necessarily a world beater, but their offense looked good in the games that I saw. I wasn't even. I haven't been. I'll be honest. I haven't been paying attention closely enough over the last couple of weeks to know. That they've only who would? thrown for seventy, yeah, seventy <laughs> yeah, who plus would? yards. Um, but hey, if if they can't throw, that's even better for us. We just have a nice tune up, get our starters rested for the big game yeah. on, on Thanksgiving weekend. You know, but but I do think back to back to my point about what I saw on game film. Ohio State's playing these freshman corners, and don't I'm I'm not knocking them at all. I think they actually all three of them, Jair Brown. J.K. Johnson and Jordan Hancock, I think all three of them have the potential to be really good players. Yeah. They're playing far too early because in this this past weekend, Denzel Burke now is hurt, didn't play the whole game. And Cameron Brown was hurt for like four weeks and came back and he looked phenomenal, by the way. And I think Ohio State has two legitimate corners when Denzel Burke and Cameron Brown are playing. And this weekend probably won't matter and Michigan's throw game is so decrepit that it might not matter that game either. But at some point, they're going to run into a team that can throw the ball. And if those yep. two kids are playing corner, I feel great. If they're not, I'm terrified. Like, like <laughs> terrified. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's definitely nerve-wracking. And this game concerns me a little bit more. And that's, you know, honestly, why I'm kind of not as worried about the Michigan game because I don't think they're going to test the weakest part of our defense very, you know, very much. Not saying they're not going to wear down our D line and our linebackers, but I, I really, really like how fundamentally sound our D line and, and linebacking core has become. 
uh, versus the last few years. And I trust that Jim Knowles, if if he's tasked with stop J.J. McCarthy, stop Blake Corum, that's your main responsibility. I'm very confident he's going to be able to do that. Man, he is, and and, and the 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 linebackers at Ohio State right now, the starting two, Steel yeah. Chambers and Tommy Eichenberg, are un believable on film yeah i mean they are so good steel chambers reminds me of and i don't want to i hate comparisons but he has a burst that is like ryan shazier darren lee-esque like where you you watch him burst and you're like whoa now the only yeah i mean the only caveat to that is they had a couple series where cody simon and uh ea were in and it looked like a completely different defense (laughs) So th- those two are, I think, elite linebackers. But I, th- there's still a lack of depth at linebacker. If you know, God forbid, something happens. Yeah, hundred percent. And then you know, Steel Chambers still is in his second year playing linebacker. There's still occasional kind of, you know, <laughs> head scratchers. But overall, like, like Darren Lee is the best cop, right? A kid who did not play linebacker came to Ohio State. Yeah. They developed him uh, into a first round draft pick. As a linebacker, I think that's a great comp. Shazier is a great comp. Obviously, Shazier sure. was more of a, a blue-chip linebacking prospect. Uh, <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think I think it's it's just good to see the Silver Bullets kind of live up to that moniker again. Um, yeah. And that's why I'm pretty confident in, in the game overall. Are there any other games this weekend, Zach, that you're, you're circling? USC-UCLA. <laughs> You know, Parth is on the West Coast, yeah. so he, <laughs> no, it's, it's but that, right that will be a great game. I'm, I'm, I am excited to watch it because, despite the fact that UCLA lost to Arizona, I think this, this is not a sure win for USC. And if Pete, if, if Pete, Pete Carroll, Christ, yeah. I just went back. <laughs> I, I went back like 15 years. <laughs> that, that's what if happens Chip, when you record at night. <laughs> no doubt. If Chip Kelly can find a way to win this game. I mean, it will deflate so much of U- USC's momentum because USC killed the portal. Their, their, their talent level on paper is far superior to UCLA. I mean, yeah. Caleb Williams, this five-star all-everything quarterback, Dorian Thompson-Robinson was Tate Martell's backup at Bishop Gorman. Not yeah. to, and not to downplay how talented he was. He was still a highly sought-after recruit. But I think if Chip Kelly can win that game, you know, there's there's a lot of things going on here. The dynamic between joining the Big Ten, Chip Kelly, Lincoln Riley. There's so much going on in L.A. right now with all of those moves that this game feels way more important than it ever has. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think one of the most important things in this is is the Lincoln Riley, you know, show. Um, yeah. He came to the, the program with a lot of fanfare. Um, and unfortunately things haven't gone as, as planned and he has no excuses really, because like you said, they killed the transfer portal. They brought in Jordan Addison also and Caleb Williams. Yeah. I mean, every, every Mario Williams, I mean, everyone they have, they brought in. Yeah. And they have the unbelievable talent, but they haven't looked like it consistently on the field. And I think if USC loses this game, Lincoln Riley's going to be on the hot seat. Not necessarily that he's going to get fired, but he's going to go into next season with a trem- definitely on the hot seat um, if if they don't perform. Like you were brought in um, to win and bring USC back to prominence, and it yeah. hasn't looked yeah. that way this year. Well, I, I think he's got two games coming up. He's got the UCLA game, and then they're playing Notre Dame the week after that, and both are are challenging challenging games because they have not had that much like really difficult competition and to your point v like they've played down to their competition a lot at least from what i've seen but i still think compared to where you see usc was last year if if he wins both of these games or even just one of these games but that one being with their rival ucla if they drop one to notre dame so be it I still think it's a it's a win for that program compared to where where they were and the amount of momentum that they're generating going into next year. You know what I'm saying? Because they're they're like team is it looks like there's three people playing and everyone else is just like really really average. Yeah, and here's the thing. You we we know Utah, right? 
solid football team, you know, not not nationally elite, but always year in, year out, solid football team. If USC can beat UCLA, beat Notre Dame, win the Pac-12, their only loss is a one-point loss on the road at Utah. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I'm not saying that should be, you know, an oversight, but at the same time, I think there's a lot of teams that might lose a game at Utah. <laughs> and that's a compelling, that's a really compelling narrative for the playoff too. Well, it is. And then that, that's what the, the, the media rights will start pounding. Cause you know, who, oh, yeah. who doesn't want Lincoln Riley and USC to make the playoffs in year one for money's sake when yeah. it comes to sports media. So if, if they end up beating UCLA and Notre Dame, and let's say Michigan's one loss is to us, which of those two teams is more deserving? Well, I think it depends on what, what that loss looks like. I mean, yeah. if it's a field goal loss, Michigan or Ohio State, depend, it doesn't matter who loses, they'll get yeah. in over USC for sure. But yeah, if it's a bad loss. If that's loss, a double-digit loss? Is USC if, if going to be playing in the – who would they be playing in the Pac-12 championship if they – because there's, there's, they get in, right? If they win these two games, they're in the Pac-12 championship. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the, the Pac-12. Would it be, um, be Utah? I think it might be. Um, the Pac-12 is, is one of the conferences that is, you know, is, is, there's no divisions. It's just the top teams. Yeah, it's the and top so, two teams. Yeah, and so right now, uh, I don't know. I can't pull it up. I don't know either. Yeah. No, but that should tell you about where where USC in the Pac-12 belongs in the playoff conversation. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so right now it it is USC, Oregon, Utah all have one loss. Um, so, so if they beat be... UCLA, it's it's either going to be Oregon or Utah, but they definitely will make it. Yeah, I mean, if they win that game in the Pac-12 championship, then they can they can present some sort of case. Yeah. Well, and to, and to your point, if they if they play Utah and avenge the loss, yeah. Now you have That's a conference big. champion, one loss, and the avenged they avenge their loss in a neutral site. Yeah. yeah. That's a and pretty then, compelling case. Then then the USC boosters will buy Lincoln Riley another house. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then and then his his seat goes from warm to like ice cold. Like he's yeah. good. He's good for a while. <laughs> a while. It's definitely interesting. I mean, I I don't know if they have what it takes to win two challenging games back to back, but we'll see. Well, the good news is, is I don't think those are two world beaters. I mean, I I do think Notre Dame beats them, but Notre Dame's not a great team. Yeah. So no. they could. Yeah. I I don't what? think that they're like that's what I'm saying when I watch them. It's like Caleb Williams is obviously an elusive quarterback. He's dynamic with the ball. But he's not like he's not like it yet. He still has some some growth to go through, right? Yeah, and then sure. they have a few talented receivers, but for the most part, the offensive line is like a seep. Like people just run right through immediately. And Caleb is mostly just trying not to get tackled and getting the ball out to whoever he can get it to. So like when you I'm watch not, it. I, I personally, you know, the the difference between what I saw last year and this year, uh I'm not on this kind of Caleb Williams hype train. I don't know how good this kid is. They have so much no. talent outside of him, but I, it's like he—you know who he reminds me of—and Zach, you were on the staff when we played USC when Sam Darnold was there. Anytime oh, that yeah. kid, anytime that kid faced any pressure, he just folded, and yeah. um, it feels like that's kind of a similar scenario here with Caleb. When everything is perfect. Yeah, you let him in a clean pocket. He's going to make the throws. But if he's sitting there and he has to go to his second, third progression, or he feels some pressure, he makes mistake after mistake. He does. But here, here's the thing. Lincoln Riley, and I mean, you know, you know the track record. I mean, from Baker Mayfield to Kyler yeah. Murray to Jalen Hurts, his scheme is so quarterback friendly. Yeah, I mean Caleb Williams has 31 touchdowns and only two interceptions. Yeah, it's crazy. And I don't, I, I don't have the stats pulled up, but I want to say like 20 of his touchdowns are on RPOs, and yeah. it's like I agree, I agree with everything you just said. Yeah, <laughs> but Lincoln kind of, kind of is the band aid for that. He's like, yeah, you don't have to be though. We got yeah. you. Like I got you. Yeah. You can still be dynamic, and th those deficiencies, we'll just hide them. 
Yeah. Lincoln's really good at that when it comes to the quarterback. Yeah. Yeah, he but is. That that's kind of what I'm saying is like with how few star players that they have really at that elite level, I think the what they do is definitely at a high level compared to most teams from an offensive scheme standpoint. But oh. I just don't see the same few threats being able to carry them at that level consistently just because, you know, it's it's easier on the other team when it's only like a couple guys that they have to really think about. Oh, on the national landscape, they'll get boat raced by yeah. Ohio State, Michigan, Georgia. But when it comes to UCLA, Notre Dame, and and what Utah, yeah, I think they're all they, right around. They'll be the fine. Same level, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll see how this this all kind of all kind of plays out. Obviously, uh, Michigan has an interesting. Even though the last two weeks have kind of killed the Illinois hype train. <laughs> Um, they we still were so are, on that train, bro. <laughs> uh, yeah, and also they they lost their their star running back too, which makes it a little bit easier uh, on Michigan. But the thing is, Illinois still has a solid defense, um, and just like we're going to be tested, our secondary is going to be tested. Michigan's kind of overpowering run game is going to face the challenge against Illinois. Um, and it should be a good game. I don't think Illinois is going to win, but at the same time, you know, it is it, both teams have some unique challenges that we're going to prepare them for the big game um, the following week. I, th- I think <clears throat> the one thing that is of note this week when we talk about Ohio State or the national landscape really is Illinois without Chase Brown does it. It doesn't change the fact that. Ohio State is playing against kind of a finesse team. Mm-hmm. Michigan is playing against a tough ass, like in your face defense, a, a run game. Like Michigan's going to walk out of that game and know they just played a a, a tough football game. Ohio yeah. State hopefully is going to win and walk out of it like, oh, we snuck one out against kind of a finesse team. Yeah, and I think that's really important when you talk about week to week. Yeah, mm. yeah, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, it'll be a fun one to watch. I, I'm excited because I feel like, to your point, whenever we play against a team like Maryland, it's just fun to watch, especially whatever creative play calls they end up coming coming with. Yeah, if there's a if there's a team that owns Maryland in the Big Ten, it is Ohio State. So <laughs> I'm not too not too worried about the outcome. Hopefully, we get healthy. Is there is there any update on whether JSN is going to be able to play in the Michigan game, or does it look like he's he's done for the year? Well, I mean that that's been the goal since he kind of re-injured it. Despite Ryan Day saying he didn't re-injure it, um, he re-injured <laughs> like, it. Then why isn't and, he um, playing? You it? saw him hopping around <laughs> on it in the game. Oh, why isn't he playing, I mean, he, bro? <laughs> like what? he limped off, and Ryan's like, "Oh no, no, nothing happened. It was just uh, <laughs> that was his snap count. He was done." And you're like, "What? He was yeah. limping? Like, like yeah. what do you mean? Like, why are you gaslighting us, Ryan Day? What is the purpose?" Well, <laughs> from what I've heard, that is the goal. I don't feel great about it, and I what I do know to be a fact is if he doesn't play in 10 days, it's going to be the Nick Bosa scenario where he's like, you know what? Not my yeah. year. I'm going to San Diego to some high-level rehab place and training place, and I'm going to get ready for the NFL. Sucks, but it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, the, the one thing that I think will help that scenario is if we do beat Michigan and we are going to the college football playoff, um, he has a few weeks in to recover, and there's no better way to solidify your draft stock than to play in two college football playoff games, right? So I think it is a slightly different scenario because there is money to t- potentially be gained by playing. But like you said, Zach, that's going to be an interesting conversation that him and his team, um, as well as the Ohio State coaching staff, have. I think it would be pretty pretty groundbreaking to have an elite First round level talent also sit out when the team has a shot at the national championship. That will definitely be a storyline to watch. Yeah. I mean, you say that, but Nick Bosa decided to sit out before he knew if Ohio State could make the playoffs or not. And he had a chance to come back for the playoffs, but he just 
it was one of those lingering things. Yeah. He made the decision very early on though. Right. Like he did. Oh, absolutely. And he let the team know, I think that, and he was dealing with an injury. This is a scenario where we've been dealing with this guy saying he's going to play, um, to do it in the college football, when the college football playoff comes, when you know that this kid is really a difference maker for our offense that we need. Um, you've been highlighting the receiver play all season. If we can line him up, a healthy JSN and a healthy Marvin Harrison on opposite sides of the field, I think we're the favorite to win the national championship. But oh, if, for we, sure. if we don't, then it becomes an interesting conversation. No, there's no doubt about that. Yeah, totally. Well said. Um, do you want to do predictions on score? On this game or the Michigan game? Do we want to do two weeks of Michigan-Ohio State score picks? <laughs> well, that's weeks. what I'm doing on my show. I'm like, this weekend sucks. Let's just talk about Michigan all for two weeks. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, we can do some score picks. I mean, USC, UCLA. Yeah. I've got um, USC hopefully winning that game. Um, uh, pretty handily, I'd say uh, 35 to 21. Yeah, I, I like USC in the game. They have a better defense. They tackle better. I, I do th- I do like UCLA and Dorian Thompson-Robinson, but but I'm going to take USC by, by seven points, probably 35-28. Yeah, same camp, um, 31-24. Yep, uh, Michigan, Illinois, final score line in that game. I think Michigan makes a statement in that game, and uh, I think Illinois is a really tough football team, but they're not ready for that. I mean, it's a two-team conference, and I don't know that Michigan's is – no, I, I know Michigan's not as talented as Ohio State, but they're not that far off. And I think Michigan, you know, kind of gearing up for Ohio State, I think they win that game by 21 points. I really do. I think they blow Illinois out, and that will only add to the national narrative. Like, whoa, this team is so good. Like, this this matchup next week will supersede the 2006 matchup. I, I, I like Michigan to to win. Uh, I'll say 35-14. Nice. Yeah, I've I've got this game being kind of a low-scoring game, but I do think Michigan dominates. I think it's going to be more along the lines of like and <laughs> like a 24 to 7 type of game uh because they're also looking forward to Ohio State as well. These are always trap games where I don't know how much of their game yeah. plan they're going to they're going to showcase and then the nerves going into the Ohio State game. I see the game being closer, um, but as Zach said, I also see Michigan's offensive line and running backs getting tackled hard and getting beat up a little bit in this game. So that's what I have, 24-7. I'm going to call 44-21. I think that they're going to try and run up the score as much as possible to make a statement. I think Jim Harbaugh has got a big ego, and he wants to create some hype coming to the game. Who's got it better than us, right? Nobody. <laughs> so, uh, so, so here, here I got, I got two ups, upset potentials for you. Yeah. Okay. Kentucky beats Georgia this weekend. Wow. Creates chaos one. in college football. That's a good one. And I, South and South Carolina. That's and what Arthur's I was hoping you boy, would say. My boy is Spencer Rattler. Rattles the cage. Beats <laughs> beats Tennessee in in Columbia, South Carolina. We're talking pure chaos in college football. <laughs> Pandemonium. And imagine if Michigan somehow loses to Illinois. <laughs> I mean, I'm talking <laughs> blow it up. Just let's and, let's have a and USC loses to UCLA. <laughs> let's just create a 64 team playoff right now. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh! And well, T- and TCU Baylor, by the way, Baylor's won a couple recently. That's a massive game. Yeah, and that's a rivalry game, so anything could happen there. Yeah, uh, you guys. So I'm telling you right Baylor now, Dave Aranda. Too. Dave Aranda at Baylor is one of the best coaches in the country. Don't that one is not a guarantee. That that is, I'm my, that that's probably my game of the week. Yeah, yeah, that's that's upset territory. Yeah, we'll definitely see what plays out there. 
Hopefully everything goes smoothly. Nothing chaotic happens on the Ohio State front this week as we talk about all the other upsets. <laughs> um, I don't anticipate that happening. Um, but, you know, hopefully we'll be coming back next week talking the big game um, and, and going into going into to Thanksgiving uh, with undefeated Michigan, undefeated Ohio State, uh, potentially two and three in the country. Uh, what? Or one and three? No. Hopefully some things happen and moves us up to one. Uh, and let's 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 get this dub and come back next week and talk some college football. Absolutely. Yeah, let's get it.